If you're looking for a trusted source of natural supplements, look no further than NutritionW.com. Since 1979, Nutrition World has been a staple in the Chattanooga community with dedicated research specialists that stay ahead of the trends to make sure you have the most reliable products available at the most competitive prices. All of their supplements are vetted for quality, effectivity, and potency and shipped using the utmost care with cold packs included in each and every order. You can shop online now at NutritionW.com and choose from thousands of your favorite supplements, sports nutrition, pet, and specialty food products today. Nutrition World, partners on your wellness journey. Hi everyone, you're listening to the Holistic Navigator Podcast, where we believe in the body's ability to heal itself. My name is Brian Strickland and I'm the producer of the show, and you're about to hear part two of our conversation with Dr. Scott Resnick. Dr. Resnick is a functional medicine physician, formally trained in general surgery and obstetrics and gynecology. And on this episode, we're talking about some practical steps to help women alleviate hormone imbalance. Thank you so much for tuning in. And without further delay, here's the host of your show, Ed Jones. Thank you again, Brian. And here we are in the second segment of a podcast. We've actually uh, only done this one other time. And we have so much information from my good friend, Dr. Scott Resnick, uh, who has a a great history of, of medical training and experience. And again, welcome to the Holistic Navigator, Dr. Resnick. Thank you. It is so nice to be here. As always, I enjoy our conversations. You and I could talk probably for three hours every day and do a podcast, but you know, I've got to work for a living and do other things. And also you, I know you are moving away, but that doesn't, that's not going to disconnect us. We're going to be continuing to do these kind of podcasts with you. You're a, you're a, you're a partner along the path for the rest of my life. I can assure you. And I hope you feel the same way. Uh, we just, you know, previous podcast, again, I said, which I uh, know for a fact in 41 years of, you know, hoping that I'm helping other people by educating them on the tools of health and why do we get sick and what can we do to be not only uh, free of illness, but to be optimally healthy. Optimal health is different than average health. And Average is walking around at 50 years old, you know, with aches and pains and fatigue and no stamina, blank, 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 depression, all this stuff. Well, optimal requires you to have tools. How do you get the tools? Education. And I used to say this all the time on this podcast. I put people in two, two classes of, of groups these days, one of which is what I call learners and one of which is non-learners. The only people who will prosper in the field of health will be the learners because conventional methods are destroying the ability to be optimally healthy. Yes, if I'm in a car wreck, I have a heart attack, a terrible UTI, give me conventional. It's all wonderful. I'm not going to go into the health food store and try to fix a broken leg with a a bone up product. I want good stuff at hospitals. And but that is not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with what most people have, which is chronic illness or chronic issues. And one of which is the female population is epidemic with all of this issues of hormones, menstrual problems, excessive bleeding uh, that can't be stopped. And, and you know, immediately surgery is done and they remove all their body parts and you know, then we have foggy thinking, we have weight gain, we have all the symptoms of pre and post menopause. And so Dr. Resnick, with his great history of of uh, 
Well, I'll tell you, you tell us what your history is in the medical field. Um, my history in the medical field is having done postgraduate training after medical school in general surgery. And then I followed up with a full uh, OBGYN residency and practiced as a uh, obstetrician gynecologist for a number, number of years. And then realized that I was actually beginning to get, to get my patients healthier by using more non-traditional means. And that would be the inclusion of mind-body practices, of modifying diet. And then incorporating the use of uh, nutrients and herbs into my practice as well. So in our in our first discussion, we actually uh, briefly looked at um, a really important relationship, which is the relationship of estrogen and progesterone. Remember, progesterone is the progestational hormone. And in a healthy cycle, it should rise up in the second half of the cycle. So once we realize that in a normal menstruating woman in the in the reproductive years, we'll say maybe between 17 and 35, because really when you start talking about postmenopausal uh, medicine, that's really a whole whole different uh, uh, whole different topic to really get into. But in the reproductive years, when we start seeing problems with weight gain, with hormonal uh, and menstrual abnormalities, um, we have to remember that in a normal cycle, the estrogen peaks twice in the course of the month, in the first and then in the second half of the month. And that progesterone is almost immeasurable in the first part of the month, and then it rises up in the second part of the month. And in the first podcast, we discussed that in my clinical practice, if a woman comes in and says, hey, doc, I have a period every 28 days like clockwork, um, three days before my cycle, I start getting breast tenderness, uh, craving pasta, and, um, and feel kind of poochy in the belly. I don't do any kind of hormonal measuring on her because she's telling me right offhand that she's having normal fluctuations of not only estrogen and progesterone, which are made by the, by the ovaries and the adrenal glands, but also of her cortisol and her thyroid, because these are important components of what we need to assess and for, for a woman's overall health. So what we were hoping to do in, in this podcast, I think, was try to give a few, like a few actionable things that, that, that the listeners could, could do in the privacy of their own homes to try to get a sense of, uh, of how they are. And, and really for me, I think that I'm a big fan of clinical medicine. You know, if you don't need to go out and spend money on a test, I mean, if you can take your pulse or you can measure your basal body temperature in the morning, that's going to give you a lot of information. So the first question that I would ask of any woman who has abnormal cycles is question number one, are you ovulatory? Question number two is really, are you ovulatory? But what we're going to do is we're going to get into some other things that we could look at that would help to give a little bit of insight into that. So are you ovulatory? Well, I would say just start by asking yourself the question, do I have predictable monthly cycles? Um, and then you can augment that by saying, do I have a temperature surge in the middle of the month? So a woman who is ovulatory around day 12 to 14 of the month will have a surge of a hormone called LH. And that contributes to a rise in her basal body temperature. So as you're trying to get a sense of, am I having normal ovulatory cycles? If you're not having a rise of your body temperature of one degree in the mid part of your cycle, and again, I would check this by getting a, just a decent digital thermometer, put it by your bedside along with your reading glasses and uh, check your, your basal body temperature in the morning. I'm sure that there are apps that you can record this and then look at the graphs to see if you're having a temperature spike. Temperature spike, what we call moliminal symptoms, which are the breast tenderness, poochiness, moodiness, mood changes, um, that would imply a normal cycle. But let's just say that you're not having normal cycling. I know that that Ed uh, through his through this podcast does make some of this testing available. So some of these things are available for you to examine in the privacy of your own home. The first thing that's absolutely critical for a woman's hormonal and menstrual health is appropriate thyroid function. 
The other thing that I think is absolutely critical is understanding your cortisol and your stress response. In the first podcast, we talked about the fact that there are a number of environmental stressors that actually contribute to dysfunction in a woman's cycling. And Ed, you referred to some of the common ones that are found in like our pesticides, our foods and the plastics. Uh, These are the xenoestrogens or the endocrine modulating chemicals. But I think that a similarly, similarly strong endocrine modulating chemical that's made by our own body is cortisol. So one of the main things that I think about when when I encounter um, a woman who's having um, problems with her menstrual cycling is I ask the question, what is her thyroid status? And what is her cortisol status? And both of these can be measured. The other thing that we mentioned as well, which is critically important, is knowing about your insulin levels and your degree of inflammation. So these are all measurable. What I want to do now is to just give a little bit of insight into how we can start to make some objective laboratory measurements to get a sense of where your hormones are. And there are some very good labs around the country, and you can find those through this podcast that offer at-home testing. So let's just say uh, you want to know, is there objective, measurable um, evidence of my ovulating well? What I would do is I would start and pick day one of your cycle. Day one is is the day when a woman really begins to start having bleeding. Count 18 to 20 days in your cycle and then check what is known as a progesterone level. Progesterone is the hormone of ovulation and you're gonna want that to be over a level of five and as that number goes up, women tend to be uh, have better ovulatory patterns. The other hormones that are typically timed around the menstrual cycle, but typically are not checked if a woman is having problems with uh, abnormal bleeding, are done on day three of the cycle. And those hormones test FSH, which stands for follicle stimulating hormone. That's kind of the, the hormone that tells the follicles in the ovary to start growing. And typically estrogen is measured at this time as well. But these are really used more for uh, infertility. I really think that um, in respect to making self-measurement to get a sense of where you are, I think the day 18 to 20 progesterone uh, would be recommended. There are some great labs where you can actually do just a little at-home finger stick test and put a spot of blood on a card and send it into the lab. Remember, the numbers that you want to see are greater than 5 to 10 for progesterone on day 18 to 20 of the cycle. I also alluded to the fact that measuring thyroid and cortisol might also be important. So I think that we can, you know, I wanted with Ed to kind of say, what are some actionable things that we could, we could do today or some recommendations that we can make to actually help women on this path of, of a really whole body health? Because I think that when a woman is really, truly healthy, it's reflected in her menstrual cycling. And it makes sense that if you're a human animal and you're starving and you're inflamed and you're under stress and your tribe has been attacked now for six straight months, and you're looking at having to go with your tribe across the desert to, because you can't find food anymore, that's probably not the time to have a nice ovulatory cycle and cross that de- desert with an extra 35 pounds of weight on your body. Um, so it makes sense that as stress and starvation and inflammation become greater, that the female human responds with more dysfunctional uh, menstrual cycling. So I think that absolutely uh, essential to to working with uh, a woman who's having some struggles is to ask those questions. Well, again, you are the magician because you understand so much more than the average person. And I know that, you know, you said day 18 would be the right time to test for the progesterone levels. And what wonderful information I, I do feel right now. I, I 
I can almost sense some people listing women who say, well, I'll get my doctor to do that. It isn't working well when that happens, is it, Dr. Resnick? No, I, I would say I'm, I'm absolutely shocked by the by the number of women's healthcare specialists, and I mean board certified gynecologists, who when a woman comes into their office and says, I'm having some abnormal bleeding, says, we'll send you to the lab and get some lab work. If your doctor is doing that, pause. Because if you're on day 18 to 20 of your cycle, well, that might be just the time to get your lab work done. But if you're on any other day of your cycle, you're not going to get a, an idea of the relationship between these hormones. So it's really, it, it never ceases to amaze me how often I see people of my own boarded specialty who aren't making these subtle distinctions in terms of recognizing just that the, the female menstrual cycle has two peaks of estrogen, one in the first, one in the second half of the cycle, and a second half of the cycle peak of progesterone. And progesterone is really the hormone you want to measure to get a sense of how well you're ovulating. Well, okay. That, and again, let's say the person did, has done this. They've either, well, like again, you can go to the Holistic Navigator under products and order all of this blood work under direct labs uh, or under Thorn for saliva. And let's say that they now see that their progesterone is pretty dismal and they're a 40 plus year old woman uh, still having cycles, but it's low. What would be some options for them? Um, now, I wouldn't be surprised if this this person that you mentioned, uh, maybe early 40s, she's putting on a little bit of weight. She sees that her libido is going down. Um, might even be plucking a few extra hairs out of her chin. Um, and these are some of the constellations that we see as as these things um, sort of begin to get out of whack. So in terms of treatments, um, I like to look at my patients in terms of short-term treatments as well as long-term treatments. Now, there are a variety of different approaches that we could take in the short term. And I think one of the first things that we need to do that will be extended into the long term is looking at diet, looking at insulin, looking at inflammation. And I know you've got a bunch of podcasts that are out there that are looking at all these different topics. Um, the typical treatment, if a woman comes into a, oh, here, we'll put a quiz here. Okay, Ed, a typical woman goes into her primary care doctor or OBGYN, she has abnormal bleeding. The treatment is? Uh well, it's going to be either a hysterectomy recommendation and or a medically synthetic progesterone. That's correct. So I, I, typically it's uh, put the woman on some birth control pills. And when the birth control pills don't work, then there might be a surgical option that's required. And sometimes those can be little outpatient options like removal of a polyp or a small fibroid. Um, sadly, in the southeast, I see a lot of women get their uteruses and ovaries removed at young ages. So that's now you're saying thing. the Southeast. So that's not common in other parts. I think it's more common in this part of the country oh, than wow. where I did my training, which was out West. Okay. Uh, that might be another topic we discuss. <laughs> um, so I think in terms of, in terms of opportunities to, to work with these patients, what I find is I find that um, if a woman is having uh, menstrual um, abnormalities, and this is gets a little more complex because as women get closer to the menopausal years, we do start seeing more fibroids, more polyps. Oh, I mean, the first thing you have to do is um, if you're having abnormal bleeding, get a pap smear. I mean, let's just, I mean, this is like, you know, there, we can talk about natural medicines and, and natural treatments of cervical cancer and all this other stuff. But when it comes right down to it, I think we need to be good di diagnosticians because you can't manage what you can't measure. And that's why I'm recommending that we consider measuring thyroid, cortisol, progesterone. And I think you also need to measure the health of your cervical cells. So don't don't pass on that. I mean, if you've been having abnormal bleeding and you haven't had a, a pap smear for five years, don't come into Ed's store asking for help. No. I'm recommending you get in with your doctor or your nurse practitioner. But I find that in my patients, I basically wind up addressing 
three different aspects that can help women who are having abnormal bleeding. The first is optimizing their thyroid. And I have to say that, boy, that's almost another webcast we could, we could do together. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people out there that are, for various reasons, in a relatively hypothyroid state. Now, there's another great test that you can order online. You can measure your TSH and your free T3 and your free T4. And in my clinical practice, if my patient's TSH isn't less than one and her free T3 is not in the upper, maybe third of the range, um, that's one of the first things that I'm going to do is, is, is look for different interventions to try to get those numbers, those numbers. Out. So you, so you like the TSH to be under one. I think maybe 0.5 to 1.5 is kind okay. of the sweet spot for mm-hmm. this, this age group that we're talking about right now. And in conventional medicine, it would be over four before they would even start talking about this. Right. And when I see a TSH greater than four, I'm already starting to think about autoimmunity. So when I see a patient's TSH of 4.5, I'm the next question I'm going to ask is, does this patient have Hashimoto's? There you go. And I want to make it clear that it, it's one of the most unusual tests because uh, TSH is an inverse relationship. So the higher the number goes means the less the thyroid is functioning. Uh, so some people look at it and think, oh, it's great because it's going up. No, it's not good because it's going up. You want it to be like Dr. Resnick says, under a certain level and anything over two is questionable in my mind also. We, in fact, I just did a podcast on thyroid about five podcasts ago and we talked about this exact thing and it was an entire podcast on that. So continue on. Well, I just want to say that I still can almost see the face of the, quote, thyroid expert 25 years ago when I was in medical school who said in front of a lecture room, thyroid's easy. Just get a TSH. If it's between 0.5 and 5, you're done. No more thinking. And I can't think of a piece of information which is more incorrect Mm -hmm. now 22 years into my clinical practice. The next thing that we can measure and we can modify is cortisol. Cortisol is king. Cortisol is the hormone that directs our thinking, our heartbeats, our gut function, and our testicular and ovarian function. So if somebody's in a very, very high cortisol state, that's one of the things that we're going to need to address to help to help her with her menstrual cycling. Of course, there are nutritional interventions as well. And as a foundation to working with patients, I need to know that they've got an omega-3 index, which is normal. This is basically a measurement of the healthy anti-inflammatory fish or plant-based oils that we get from our diet. I need to know that their magnesium um, is, is normal and their vitamin D. So in terms of, of intervening, I find that once we've basically worked on some of these other parameters, nutritional state, optimizing thyroid, working on the cortisol, at this point, we can also look with some uh, pharmacological intervention. Now, the conventional intervention is birth control pills. And I want to commend Ed on using a really being careful about your use of, of, of words here. The, you refer to what's called a, a progestin or a progestogen. These are synthetic progesterones. What I like to do is in my practice, if a woman is has low progesterone in the second half of the cycle, has any number of these different symptoms that can be reflected in this, this lower progesterone, I don't like to use a th- synthetic molecule to replace it. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I find that women respond very, very well with oral or transdermal progesterone. And again, this, I'm being very distinct in, in saying that progesterone is a three-dimensional um, electrical chemical molecule that has a very distinct shape that's recognized by our cells. Unfortunately, so too do our cells uh, recognize similar shapes that are found in the environment. One of the most common is being birth control pills. So I find in my patients that for the woman who has a progesterone driven dysfunction that's contributing to abnormal bleeding, we first need to look at the nutritional foundation. 
We then need to at least consider her cortisol, her thyroid, and her insulin, as we discussed today and in an earlier podcast. And then for treatment, I like using progesterone in the second half of the cycle. Remember, in our mind's eye, we have a drawing of a 28-day cycle with two humps of estrogen in the first and second half of the cycle. And in the second half of the cycle, a peak in progesterone that rises and drops over that 14-day half of the cycle. What I like to do is I like to mimic that with a bioidentical progesterone. And let me tell you that, that um, talk about a low-hanging fruit and a, a safe and easy, inexpensive intervention that really helps a lot of women to start feeling better is to get their progesterone back on track. What happens is it kind of works like a yin and a yang with the estrogen. So estrogen is a trophic molecule. It makes things grow. It makes things lush, feminine, deposits fat under our skin. Well, progesterone kind of keeps those things in check so they don't go unregulated. Mm. Now, for the clarity of all this, you're saying bioidentical. That means that a physician or a healthcare practitioner would certainly need to be knowledgeable in this area. This is not conventional recommendations normally. What is the name of the conventional progesterone so that women, if they're taking it and they're confused, would know, well, this is not bioidentical. How would they know this? Boy, there are any number of different, uh, well, one way to say it would be to say, if it doesn't say progesterone in it, it's not progesterone. But there's a norgestimate, desigestrol, levonorgestrel. These are just some of the, the names that, that one might hear. I mean, if it's in a birth control pill, it's synthetic. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you. If it is in one of the um, intrauterine devices that are impregnated with progesterone, it's synthetic. Mm-hmm. If it's a shot you're getting every three months, it's synthetic. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so, so I think that what's interesting is this, is even in the contemporary medical literature, I still see scientific articles being published where the title of the article could say estrogen does this or that. And they're referring to a molecule known as ethanol estradiol. Again, ethanol estradiol to estrogen is norgestimate, levonorgestrel, desigestrel to progesterone. It is a synthetic estrogen. Mm. And and without getting off in another big conversation, we are dealing with a country of women who are what we call estrogen dominant. Correct? What can you give us a minute explanation? And, of that? and that's that's I'm going to guide people back to that little mental image we have of the second half of the cycle. So basically, there are two peaks of estrogen and progesterone. And when a woman's progesterone rises appropriately, they these peaks of estrogen and progesterone rise together. If the progesterone doesn't rise then what happens is there is a basically a dominance of estrogen relative to progesterone. So remember we mentioned it's kind of like a yin-yang. Just imagine draw, drawing a yin-yang where, where one half of the yin-yang takes up 80% of the drawing and the other half takes up 20% of the drawing. That's, that's out of balance. So that's what we see exactly um, that's contributing to this state of estrogen dominance. So when a woman gets into a state of estrogen dominance, just a minute ago, I mentioned that some of the, the effects of estrogen are to make things grow. So what do we see growing? We see the lining of the uterus grow in an unregulated way, and then it can shed uh, um, oftentimes more heavily. That might be a really heavy period. We see the fat cells under the skin beginning to grow. We see a woman's breast size or cup size beginning to increase as well. Because if we think, go back to age um, eight to 12, when a woman is, first starts to go into puberty, what happens? Her hips grow. Mm. Her breasts begin to grow. Her uterus begins to grow. So, so estrogen is a trophic hormone. It basically causes bo- uh, growth. It causes water retention. And these are some of the symptoms we see in the state of estrogen dominance. Then we start to get into some of the other effects of estrogen dominance that affect mood, that affect thinking. I can tell you that one of the common symptoms I see in a woman who is 
really estrogen dominance is irritability. Mm. Okay. And weight gain. And weight time. gain. Exactly. And, that, and it's kind of the bloated weight gain sometimes. And it, it's almost like impossible for them to shed this weight, even if they're making some decent habits, like going to the gym and such. Because I hear this every day. I mean, doing, I'm trying to do everything right and I'm not losing. I only lost three pounds, you know, in three months. But you can't really lose a lot of weight if you have, to me, if you have two things going on, your estrogen dominant and your insulin successive. Because insulin's job is to store food for later. You can look at a pack of crackers and gain weight. Again, you know, and I think you would agree with this. It's kind of like a tree uh, with, uh, you know, all these leaves on it. And also the tree has all these roots. Well, you can't really help the tree if it was struggling with health by looking and treating the leaves. You have to go to the root. And you kept saying the same thing that I know for a fact, which is we also have to look at thyroid and cortisol continuously. And again, I know people listening are saying, I don't want to do all this. I want someone who can help me and me not really think about it. Well, there we're your group of people are growing, Dr. Resnick, as you know, functional medicine practitioners. They are the people who you have to access. You can't do this through normally your conventional medical people. And I will always try to be kind as as far as sometimes I can get on a rant about the sick care system. But the thing is, the people in our healthcare sick care system are good people. They're in a broken system and they have to play the game the way it's designed or they get kicked out. So it's not the individual doctor or nurse or practitioner's always their fault. There's some of that responsibility has to fall on them because like you, you saw some light uh, and you uh, were brave enough to step out and learn, learn, learn on your own because you're not being taught this in normal medical school, obviously, correct? Oh, I mean, I've spent thousands and I mean thousands of hours sitting on my backside, uh, (laughs) opening up my biochemistry book, uh, getting on the Internet to see what the the current literature is showing. And speaking of the Internet, let me just put put in a little plug right now. I I built up a website over the last year that is scottresnickmd.com and it's S-C-O-T-T-R-E-S-N-I-C-K-M-D.com. The reason I'm mentioning it is because I published what I am really proud of. It's an ebook that is really focusing on stress. But what it does is it gets into some of these relationships. And if you go to the chapter where that looks at um, insulin and thyroid and cortisol, it, it's, it really helps to, to bring to light how all of these systems work together. Because I really believe that when our thyroid, our cortisol, our insulin, our inflammation, and our nutritional states are out of kilter, it doesn't surprise me when a woman comes in with abnormal bleeding. Or on the flip side, when a man comes in with low testosterone. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that this website is totally non-commercial. There's nothing for sale. There are no affiliate links. It is just purely informational. Great ebook. Um, check it out. But it'll help people to really understand how thyroid, cortisol, and insulin work together. Because, Ed, you alluded to the fact that really, at the end of the day, our body is geared to hold on to energy. There was probably a time before the 24-hour McDonald's and uh, 24-hour Publix and stores open all the time when we were, we were subjected to periods of uh, feast and famine. So the human physiology is really built to when we get an extra calorie, we get a little extra food, we want to put it on, we want to store it, and that's insulin's job. But what happens was our body wasn't developed to have a lifetime filled with environmental stresses, emotional stressors, uh, the wrong types of food, and um, excessive calories. This is when the machine starts to break down. Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen it for 41 years. When the machine is breaking down and you only treat the symptoms, you are going to perhaps hide 
and you're going to relieve the way that your your negative feelings are. But it's going into hiding. It's not fixing and it will rear its ugly head at a certain point. And if you can and, you know, you mentioned if there's a core program that we know almost every single woman nutritionally should have once we've addressed the, the healthy uh, elimination of a big chunk of processed foods and we think about the sleep issues, uh, what would be the core supplements that you would recommend for most patients? I would say that I've always been a big proponent of my uh, core four and they almost perfectly overlap with yours. So <laughs> my core four, because I measure these and I see the people across the boards are deficient. People are deficient in magnesium. So if you're going to check your magnesium, be sure to check what's called a red blood cell magnesium and not a serum magnesium. This reflects basically our tissue stores. The other thing that I recommend that everyone should have checked is an omega-3 index. And again, this is another test that is available online. It's a finger stick test, and it measures the percentage of your healthy anti-inflammatory fats in your cell membranes. The third thing that I think everyone needs as part of my core four is vitamin D. And uh, we see deficiencies in vitamin D across the board. Again, this can be measured in the privacy of your own home. And I recommend trying to get your vitamin D level between 50 and 70. Now, my departure from Ed in terms of my my final uh, component of the core four is I recommend that people use psyllium husk on a regular basis. Now, this is a non-digestible fiber. It's um, commercial use as a thickener, and you can go to any supermarket and just get some psyllium. I recommend against using Metamucil. I don't think you need to be using something which is flavored and colored. I use the, the psyllium that comes in, um, kind of looks like the old fashioned Quaker oats container, just a little cardboard container. And what it is, is it's fiber. Fiber is critically important for, important for any number of different things from detoxification pathways to um, maintaining um, the health of our microbiome and to maintaining the health of our immune system. And uh, this is something that I think that we could almost do a whole podcast on actually. But so my big four, once again, are, are omega-3s, uh, magnesium, vitamin D, and fiber. I love that. And the only thing I would add to that is I know with high cortisol, I'm a huge fan of the herb ashwagandha used twice a day has been shown to lower cortisol levels. Now, I did do a podcast about three weeks ago on my personal uh, protocol supplement plan. And it's kind of crazy when I discuss it in there. I'm certainly not saying everyone no one needs to take all the things I'm doing. I'm a self-appointed guinea pig and I love the fact that I am uh, have kind of a, appropriated myself to that, but you do have to do a certain amount. I want to make one uh, comment, and and most people don't know this, Doctor Reyes. I don't expect anybody else to, because I spent thirty five years not knowing this. But psyllium is in the same class as cotton. They can spray psyllium with every chemical known to man far greater than any food because it's not falling under the same. So please get organic. We actually did not carry or offer organic until about three years ago because I had no clue it was so heavily sprayed. I have to agree with you on that one. I do. When I send my patients out, I tell them to go to some of the more well-known food stores <laughs> that we have in this country without uh, promoting anyone by name. Um, you can find organic psyllium. It's going to cost you all of a dollar and 50 cents more than a, right. than a container of, of, uh, non-organic psyllium. Um, my preference for using psylliums, I put about a couple couple uh, ounces of uh, pulp-free uh, pineapple juice into a, a glass. I put in about another six ounces, eight ounces of water. 
I put in mycelium. I'm up to about a tablespoon and a half a day. I recommend that people start at maybe a half of a teaspoon or a teaspoon a day. And this has been part of my protocol for the last 10 years of my life. And you will have all the benefits of the psyllium. And I will guarantee that your bowel function will regulate over well, time. And the thing is, when they look at tribes across the world, they're consuming somewhere between 50 and 80 grams of fiber a day. They literally have no, no diverticulitis. They have so much less uh, colon cancer their lipid levels are healthier. All of this is based on this fiber that they're getting from their natural environment. We don't have the access quite as much as we would be if we lived in a jungle. So I'm a, we have to supplement with fiber. Now, I do it with chia and flax, and uh, but any of these are going to feed the microbiome. In fact, one of the best podcasts I ever did was with Brenda Watson, who was on PBS for years, talking about exactly what you said, Dr. Resnick, about psyllium and the fiber and how it feeds this good bacteria. And that is a key to our health. We both understand that, you know, health begins and ends in the colon. Hippocrates said that again, hundreds of years ago. And, and, you know, you can take all the probiotics you want, and I'm a huge fan of that. But the thing is, if you don't have the right fiber, they're going to die quickly because fiber is like the food for them. And it's a prebiotic. And I think if we're, you know, not been exposed to antibiotics for a long time, we almost could get by with just doing the fiber if you're doing some kind of cultured foods like sauerkraut and other things. So, uh, I, you know, we've covered so much. I know that the, the, the ladies who are listening who have issues or have family members with issues are going to probably replay this a second time because you what you've done is you've first off in the first podcast, you gave a great explanation that so few people know, even many women don't understand the real physiology of what we're talking about with their own bodies. And secondly, on this podcast, you've given a game plan. You did the core products that we really know has to be addressed. And, and then secondly, understanding the fact that we are a complex being. We're not your computer where somebody can pull and put one little new software program in or another little piece and it's fixed. We are the tree with the roots and and exposed to everything. And it's a complex puzzle, but it isn't impossible. And we have the ability to do so much today on our own. So if a person will clean up their diet, take the supplements, start thinking about their stress levels, order some blood tests or get a functional medicine person to do that, the future is bright and hopeful. And the thing is, we all have windows of opportunity for healing. You don't let it go too long because there is a point of no return, but the body's so resilient, but we need wisdom. We need information. We need so, you know, this kind of toolbox in order to get to the right place. In fact, you know, and I'm not cutting down conventional medicine, but I love the quote by Upton Sinclair, who was part of the uh, era of the despicable meat industry back wrote, when it was wrote, wrote the jungle. That's right. And, you know, this kind of applies to a lot of industries, but a lot of it is medical. It is. And, and he said this so long ago, you know, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And it is so true of conventional medicine because, you know, you can create a great income by playing the game. Uh, but there are there are some people who are like super brave heroes to me. You're one of them because you stepped out of the box, but you're not crazy out of the box. You can <laughs> you can hold both uh, uh, areas of knowledge and wisdom together and you express it unbelievably. I want you to give your website one more time before we end this, Dr. Resnick. Okay. It is scottresnickmd.com. And I just want to say before, I think a nice postscript to this was, um, uh, 
we started this discussion a couple podcasts ago, uh, really saying, what is the purpose of the menstrual cycle? It's really to reproduce. That's the purpose of that. And as you were telling about your metaphor of the tree, of thinking about the roots and the, the healthy trunk and the beautiful leaves, I thought about one more step, which is the healthy tree bears, bears fruit. So I think that's sort of a nice metaphor to wrap up these discussions that we've had. So um, these are steps. If your body's working well, your tree is well supported. You are fertilized and watered and have plenty of sun and you're earthed and everything is going well. You'll bear fruit in a, a female population that is reflected in her menstrual cycling. That is beautiful. And bearing fruit also has to do with that. I'm just thinking of living a joyous, contented uh, life that so many of us seem to be struggling for. And to help create this balance will will be what will produce the fruit of healthy children and healthy lives. So thank you, Dr. Resnick, so much for coming in. This, as you know, will not be the last time that you and I will interact on some level. And remember, like I always say, if a doctor cannot do good, he must be kept from doing harm. Hippocrates long ago. Thank you, Ed Jones, the Holistic Navigator. Please subscribe, rate, and review. That is how we continue to grow, and we are growing. Thank you, everyone. The information on this podcast and the topics discussed have not been evaluated by the FDA or anyone of the medical profession and is not aimed to replace any advice you may receive from your medical practitioner. The Holistic Navigator assumes no responsibility or liability whatsoever on the behalf of any purchaser or reader of these materials. The Holistic Navigator is not a doctor, nor does he claim to be. Please consult your physician before beginning any health regimen. 